0: All right, here we go. So that was just a little bit of a teaser, where we're going tonight. So those of us that know the Bible, that know Christianity, who was that about? Jesus. Do you guys know who wrote that? Isaiah. Do you know when Isaiah was alive? 8th century B.C., 700 years prior to Jesus, the one who fulfilled that. It's like a dead-on prophecy or even description of what Jesus did 700 years prior to Jesus even existing. And it's so easy to gloss over things like that. But tonight we're going to dig into that concept. And I hope you guys are ready. I, as an individual, and my abilities, I am not up here to entertain you. I'm a teacher, And I want to teach you about the God of the Bible through the Bible. So my hope is that if nothing else, you walk out of here with one thought. Something just milling around in your mind that you can look into, that you can pray about, that you can study on your own. Just one thing. That's how God tends to work. So let's pray, kind of position our minds, so that way we can maybe receive what we need. God, we have come down here, or we're sitting in front of our screens because we want to make you our priority. And so right now we ask that you would give us what we need. You know us. You know what lies ahead for us. You know what we need, who we need to be and what we need to think. And so right now we just open our minds to receive that. Please make it happen. Amen. So tonight we're wrapping up our series, Jesus in the Old Testament. Over the last 10 weeks, we have examined different times in the Old Testament that we can clearly see the God, during that time, treating people in the same way that Jesus did. Times when he was merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Exodus 34. Now, this may have been a bit strange for some of us. Among Christians, there is such a common misunderstanding of the God of the Bible. The God of the Old Testament is angry full of wrath, right? But the God of the New Testament, he's loving, kind, full of compassion. And fortunately, because of Jesus, we can hide behind him, so that way the God of the Old Testament doesn't fulfill his anger and his wrath upon us. Now, the cross is what saves us, but it is not a shield. Rather, it is a tool by which we are spiritually transformed. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul describes followers of Jesus as a new creation. Not a creation that fearfully hides behind someone perfect. Jesus' pur- crucifixion purifies a broken creation. It makes it holy and acceptable before God. So for those of us who have cried out to Jesus, we have the ability to stand before God the one that we read stories about in the Old Testament, the one who created everything, the one who parted the Red Sea, who caused the walls of Jericho to crumble. We have the ability to stand before him fully unashamed without a single ounce of fear that he will condemn us due to our foolish choices. The cross is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 the way through which he can completely redeem a lost and selfish humanity. And it has been a part of God's plan since before he laid the foundations of the world. Revelation 13:8 All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the lamb's book of life, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Other translations say before the foundations of the world. Such an interesting concept that you've got to spend time pondering. You know, tonight I want to show you clear evidence that God stands outside of time, but he has a deep desire to be intimately involved with our days. So let's start with the fact that he stands outside of time. Now, the Bible, it's a collection of books and letters that were written over a 1,500-year period. For the most part, the Old Testament are history books, just stories about factual events that took place from creation all the way up till about 400 years before Jesus came. As we've seen through this series, in the real events that happened 3, 4, 5, 15,000 years ago, there are lots of types or foreshadows of what God will do through his people with Jesus. Events like the exodus, So God's people were in a cruel and inescapable bondage that they could not get themselves out of until God steps in and miraculously redeems them. Or like Boomer looked at last week, the fourth man standing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of the fire. Without him, they would have been consumed You know, from these historical events, we can not only see God's character, his love, his mercy, his compassion for his creation, but we also get insights into the plan that he has to bring about salvation. Thousands of years before Jesus came. You know, this is not due to random chance. It is because God stands outside of time and wanted his people to begin to see that he is in complete control and that he has a plan to redeem them from their own foolishness. By doing this, by giving them the foreshadows, he was giving people who lived before the cross evidence that they were putting their faith in what was real. That's why it says what it says in Hebrews 11. All of these died in faith without having received the promise, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. So this is what God was doing for men like Abraham, for Noah, for Abel, he was giving them insights onto what he would do because he cared just about as much about them as he does about us. You know, these types, they're fascinating to me to see hints or at times obvious examples of what will come for all of humanity hundreds, even thousands of years before they happen. But what is even more profound is seeing specific predictions or prophecies. Now, the Old Testament contains dozens and dozens of these. Tonight, I want to hone in on the messianic prophecies, specific statements about the Messiah, the one whom God anointed to save his people. There's times where it talks about what tribe he'll come from or what area of Israel he'll be born into, even the city, or where he'll start his ministry. Now, these these statements about future events are in books that span a thousand years, dozen different authors, and several different cultures. But they still all came true. Now, when we hone in on the predictions that detail the Messiah's life, more specifically his death, you start to see something that is unprecedented throughout all of human history. No other time have verifiable historical documents. That means that they can be proven to have been written when they claim to be written. No other time do we have documents that have accomplished such an extraordinary feat of accurate predicting. Let me lay this out for you. So there's a professor of mathematics and probability, and he helps us see the odds of something like this happening. Now, using his powers of mathematical analysis, as well as principles of probability, he looks at only eight different Old Testament prophecies. Only eight. And there's dozens and dozens. But eight different ones about the Messiah that they found to be fulfilled in Jesus. Now for those of you here, they're in your handout. Pretty small, but they're in there. So this idea that he, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That he would be preceded by a messenger. That he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. That he would be betrayed by a friend that his betrayer would be given 30 pieces of silver, that the betrayer would then throw his money into the temple, and from this money they would buy a potter's field, that the Messiah would remain silent before his accusers, and that his hands and feet would be pierced, and that he would die accounted among criminals. Now, as I list that off, it's just like, yeah, of course, that's Jesus. But if you look through that handout, and we'll put this on Facebook or wherever after, you can see that these were written by several different authors hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. Right? And so the fact that they were specifically fulfilled in Jesus, according to Professor Stoner, what a great name, right? He and I used to be buddies. Right? According to the professor, the odds of all eight of these predictions being fulfilled in one man is one in 10 to the 17th power or one in 100 quadrillion. I had to look up what number comes after trillion. right? One in 100 quadrillion odds of this happening. Now, in order to better picture this, let me give you a visual. Imagine the entire state of Texas, right, the biggest state we got other than Alaska, Alaska, completely covered in silver dollars, buried two feet deep. Now we mark one of those silver dollars and then we mix them all together. Then we let a person walk out as far as that individual wants to go and dig as deep as they want to dig. The chances of them finding that silver dollar are the same chances of these eight prophecies being fulfilled in one man. Are you seeing how improbable to the point of impossible this is to happen? So I want to make our walk away from these facts obvious. I see two things that it proves. One, that the, word, that the Bible is inspired by God. And two, God stands outside of time. So let's first look at how it's inspired by God. As we just learned, the chances of these predictions coming true in one man is nearly impossible. So that proves that each of these prophetic statements were given by someone who knows the future. But the fact that they were written by several different men from different times of human history, we know that these predictions must have come from some greater source. It is scientifically proven facts like this that support Paul's understanding of the true author of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3. All scripture, that's the entire Old Testament that Paul's talking about, is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And this means that what we hold in our hands is far more than a collection of man's ideas. It is a life-giving gift from the creator of everything. Words and stories that were recorded and preserved so that humanity, you and me, could learn truths that transcend our circumstance and bring us the life that we were created to have. You know, the second thing that these odds, the probabilities show us is that God stands outside of time. That God, our creator and savior stands. He is not limited or restricted by the fourth dimension. Right? Instead, he stands outside of our linear existence. Right? We operate in, in a straight line with time. And he can see our entire existence as one. Now, I know this is getting a bit too heady or philosophically weird, but let's then move to application. You and I can look back on our lives and we can see everything that we've experienced. We can focus in on the moment right now and see what is in front of us. But we have no ability to concretely know what 7 p.m. tonight will bring or tomorrow or 2021. We are fully restricted by time. But God, on the other hand, knows everything that lies ahead for each of us. That's why David writes what he writes in Psalms 139. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your books were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. Take a moment to ponder that. Every single day that you will have, God knew before you were even created. That means that before you were even born, he knew all of the good things that you would experience. The fact that you would excel in creativity or logic that you would have a love for animals or a major compassion for the homeless. He knew that you would meet your spouse at that party, that you would have two kids or three. He knew that you would be promoted, that your own business would be very successful. He even knew that you would have the time of your life at Disney World. But he also knew the bad things that you'd go through long before they happened. He knew that your spouse would leave you. He knew that your kid would push back hard against your role as his parent. He knew that COVID-19 would happen and that it would influence or affect you in the way that it has. He knew that you'd get cancer or that your dad would die far too young. He knew that I'd fall 30 feet down a rocky cliff and suffer a major brain injury. Because God stands outside of time, he is not restricted in the ways that we are. He is never blindsided by the unknown. But it is also paramount, as you think through this, to know that he is not a silent observer. One who simply sits back and lets happen what he knows will happen. Like an old man sitting on his porch watching the neighborhood kids play in the street. When the natural cause and effect occurs, he simply closes his eyes to take a nap. Now, our Creator is not only omniscient, means he knows everything, he is also extremely interactive, Not only does he know what will happen to us, he is continually stepping into our realities to bring about his good. Let me first start explaining this big picture. Now before God even created humanity, he knew the mess that we would make. He knew that we would reject him and bring pain and loss into his perfect creation but instead of simply setting back and allow, stepping back and allowing us to run headlong towards eternal destruction, he stepped in to give us opportunity to have our relationship with him redeemed, to be reconnected. He stepped into our worlds to die a brutal death, paying the consequences of our choices. Like we already read in Revelation 13, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. That means that God's plan to redeem you was put into place ages before you existed. This is because God stands outside of time. And he has an intense desire to interact with our days in order to bring his goodness into our moments. Now for me this is incredible for at least two reasons. The first, it shows that we've been given free will. That we are not robots set on autopilot, only able to live the way that we are designed to live. Instead, we make our choices and we reap the consequences, good and bad. And really, this is a form of love. But his love is so much greater than just giving us free will because he not only lets us choose, but then he steps into our mess to bring us far better than we deserve. And this is not only for our spiritual salvation. This is also true for our day-to-day lives. And at this point in my studying, I was torn. Do I look at things that are good that he will bring us and give positive examples, or do I look at the negative, the pain? You know, I wish I had an extra 15 minutes, but I just was drawn down the path that we will experience pain in this life. All right, this applies just as much to the good things in your life, but we will experience pain in life, whether it's because of our own stupidity or because, of this world, because this world is innately broken, we are guaranteed to suffer in our lives. Regardless of why we hurt, though, God knew ahead of time that we would. And because of his profoundly powerful love for you, he is simply waiting to break into your pain and loss to bring his goodness. You know, at times he breaks in to bring physical healing. Let me give you an example. I already mentioned this, but over four years ago, I had a climbing accident. I fell 30 feet and sustained major trauma to the brain. From what the doctors told my family, I should have, at best, been a completely different person that needed a lot of assistance just to function as a human being. Now, before they removed half of my skull in order to allow the brain to swell, they decided to take me off a sedation to see how I would react. In the words of the neurologist, what followed was miraculous. The healing of my brain happened so quickly that within a week, I was set free from the hospital. Now, the past four years have been a hard and slow uphill battle, but it is a battle that I have been able to win. Not because of anything that I bring to the table, but because of God. The fact that he has stepped into my existence and continues to do that in order to bring me what only he can bring me. Life. And and I am not the only one that has stories like this. There are story after story that show God miraculously intervening in the midst of a broken world in order to restore somebody back to life. You know, but at other times... He allows us to continue in our pain and our suffering. You know, about a year and a half ago, I started to have seizures. Due to the scar tissue in my brain from the accident, every week or two, I have what's called a partial seizure. They begin with a real intense feeling of deja vu, followed by 30, 45 seconds of feeling like I'm on a roller coaster from hell. Just intense adrenaline rushes. You know, and all, it only lasts about two to three minutes. But the hour that follows, I'm basically limping through life. It's so hard for me to have a conversation, let alone teach. And I have no idea when they're going to come. But when they do, I must stop everything that I'm doing. You know, I've asked God many times to take it away. But he hasn't. You know, there are definitely times when God allows our suffering to continue. But that doesn't mean that he won't still bring his goodness into our lives. You know, through my entire broken brain experience, God has taught me over and over that I own that the only reason that I have life is because he gives it to me. And that I am here on her earth because he has specific plans for me. Regardless of how ill-equipped I am to live life, he will empower me to do what he has created me to do. You know, as my brain has healed in drastic ways over the past year, at times, I forget this. And I start relying on my own strength, my own abilities. But the beauty of having seizures is that I am constantly reminded of the truth that without God, I have nothing. But with him, I have everything I need. You know, in hindsight, I now see the reason why God allowed me to fall and why he's allowed me to have seizures. The lessons that I have learned have been invaluable to the point where I am grateful that all this has happened. Because of the way that God directly interacted with the natural consequences of me living in a broken world, I am now a better man. You know, as we end this, I want to bring you back to two concrete and verifiable truths. God stands outside of time. But he is intimately involved with your days. From this position, he knows everything that will occur in your life. Tomorrow, next year, ten years. Nothing that you will go through will surprise him. Because he has created you to live a specific amount of days in order to accomplish specific things, he will use the circumstances of your life to best equip you to live out your purpose. I hope that makes sense. I challenge you to meditate on this fact this week. Spend 5 or 10 or 15 minutes pondering the fact that God fully understands everything that lies ahead of you. And that he has an intense desire to be a part of it. To bring about his good in the midst of whatever you experience. Both good and bad. You know, to help you meditate, look at Ephesians 2.10. This is a verse that I come back to. I would say weekly for sure. Like in the midst of my early days after the brain injury, I would meditate on every day. For we are what he has made us. We are his masterpiece is another translation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. I've got to read that again. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand to be your way of life. I also challenge you to remind yourself that you have free will, that it is your choice whether or not God interacts with your heart. It's what the Bible refers to as your mind your emotions, your willpower, those things that drive you to do and to be who you are. In many ways, it is in your hands whether or not you will experience Romans eight twenty-eight. You probably know that verse off the top of your head. All things work together for good for those who love God. If you want God to bring his goodness into your world, you, you must continually open up your life to him. Inviting him to interact directly with your mind, your emotions, your willpower. It's truly in your hands. If and when you do this, he has the ability to work all things for good. Let's just pray that right now. God, personally I give you my mind, I give you my emotions, I give you my willpower. I just lay them before you. I open them up to you. Whatever analogy you want, I just give them to you. Asking that you would continue to bring your goodness into my life. Without you, I have nothing. And with you, I have everything. So I ask, God, that you would give me more of who you are. More of your power. More of your control over my days.